This is In Search of Tracks podcast, a new podcast where each week we take a deep dive into a different album and ultimately answer the burning question, are there tracks? I'm Pete. And I'm Bob. And we're here today to take a deep dive into our album of the week. Um, This week's episode is going to be an album by the band called Nebula called To the Center. Um, But first, Bob, what is going on? You know, um, not too much. Uh, my my significant other w- was just finished up doing a uh, like a company morale team building exercise. You okay. know, tis the season, right? Like uh, as the new year kind of gets underway, here we're in Q one, kind of still. Um, is this for work or just something that you guys do in the household? <laughs> no, no, this is uh, <laughs> this is for work. Uh, so, so it was mailed out. It was a sip and paint uh, activity where you're supposed to uh, paint along in a Zoom chat, uh, and you know, I guess uh, theoretically have drinks as well. Okay, and uh, and they had a soundtrack that was <sighs> it was sort of like a mix of the greatest hits of today and yesterday, like, like, Oh, the greatest hits of the nineties, two thousands and 2010s. And, uh, it was really funny cause, cause she's just not, not interested in any of that. So, <laughs> um, it sounds so compelling. Yeah, I know. Doesn't it make <laughs> you think that you'll work better with teammates? Yeah, exactly. So anyways, uh, that was my evening so far. How about you? That's cool. I'm, uh, I don't know. I had a Snickers bar for dinner. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good. I'm energized. You know, two pieces of a Kit Kat over here. So nice. We're on the same level then. This should be good. Well, um, I, I think uh, it's important up front. Let's do the the quick things. Our socials are at at TraxPod, um, T R A C K S P O D. And you can email us at TraxPod at gmail.com. Please do. Uh, thank you for everybody who listened in the week one. Uh, we're, we're psyched to be getting into this. You know, it, it was one thing I did think about last week, and I was like, how do I frame this when we do this? Because you picked the Stone Roses, their mm-hmm. debut self-titled album, a record you absolutely love. Yes. Like a, if it's not 100 out of 100, it's a 99 out of 100, um, and you feel bad about the one that you left off for them. I Am do. I, right I, about that? I still feel bad about it, yeah. <laughs> the I went a different way with this because it's a record I really like. I, I really like this record. But as we get through, um, this isn't a 100 out of 100 record to me. But it is a record I really like. And I, I think it does add, like you said, we picked a couple records just to get started here that we really like and that we wanted to deep dive. And as we said, find are there tracks. And uh, I chose Nebula to the center because it's a record I've loved for close to 20 years now and uh that i go back to pretty frequently um you know several times a year uh, i'm in the mood for it i find it to be a really great album listen uh and and something that i wanted to share with people and also was excited because i didn't know if you would be familiar at all um anything about it but uh so, so to give my personal experience with this record really quick before we get into yours and then a little bit more about the, the history and who this band was, uh, I was introduced to this record when I worked at a screen printing shop uh, about 20 years ago. The owner of the shop, uh, my good friend Jeff, still to this day, loved music of all kinds. And he was really into a lot of heavier rock music and, you know, different things. But like he liked psych rock, stoner rock, desert rock at the time, and Nebula was one of these bands, um, they stood out from the pack to me. Them, along with a couple others, uh, were really at the top, and I found them to be catchy. And uh, this record, along with the album that comes after it, Charged, are the two that really stood out to me. Um, and I thought this would be a great place to start with them. Uh, and I, I do really like the band. So um, my question to you, Pete, were you familiar with this band at all before this listen? I was. Um, I was a fan probably early 2000s. This record came out in 1999. I feel like I probably heard it maybe 2003. Um, I think I got into them around when, I think it's their third album, Atomic Ritual, came out. Okay, yep. Um, 
I w- I really really liked that record, and then I kind of went back and listened to everything else. Um, I will say though, I was a big fan at the time. I was living in San Francisco, and they actually played fairly often, so I saw them a few times. Yeah. Um, but it's not a record that I go back to very often, and this was my first time listening to this one in in, in a while. Um, probably right. I don't know ten ish years possibly oh, nice very cool very so, cool so yeah i'm excited to see what that spells out um for the uninitiated uh to kind of give you a little bit about the who where how what why nebula is a band who started in i guess around 1996 97 um they were formed basically uh the band fu manchu a long tenured stoner desert rock heavy rock band from Southern California. Uh, Eddie Glass is the guitarist and primary songwriter during his years of Fu Manchu. Um, and Ruben Romano, who is the drummer, <clears throat> leave the band. Nascent, kind of murky details, but basically musical and personality disagreements with um, with the, the lead singer, Scott Hill of, um, of Fu Manchu. And uh, they 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 kind of on record say, oh no, you know it's all good, and it seems pretty amicable, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> and they start Nebula, a band who, to be honest, wasn't too far off from from the sound that Fu Manchu was doing. Uh, they also recruit Mark Abshire, who was the bassist of Fu Manchu, who also remained a part of Fu Manchu to to play with them in Nebula. So. Uh, Again, from Southern California, Eddie Glass had done Fu Manchu, and before that, he was in a band, Olive Lawn, who were in this weird kind of corner that they were a punk band, but they weren't writing short, fast, angry songs. They were writing kind of more textured songs that fit somewhere between punk and rock and kind of alternative of the time. Uh, I, I think I discovered all of lawn from a snowboard video. Interesting. In, yeah. In the late nineties, but it was a mid or early nineties snowboard video. And, uh, you know, they're a band who, uh, largely is forgotten and, and not without reason. Uh, but the song college volume is fantastic. fantastic. Right. Like just such a great song. So I, I recommend that to people who are curious. Um, that's a but new that, one to me. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, please. The the song, it's, I mean, Pete, it, it reminds me of mid to late era Poison Idea rolled around with, you know, um, Mud Honey and, All right. you know, throwing some more alternative in there. I feel uh, that. Yeah. So, um, so how to describe Nebula sonically just kind of a, baseline they're a heavy rock or or stoner rock or slightly psychedelic band um they they are a little more progressive or spacey than some of their peers mm-hmm. um who lean you know in certain areas much heavier and less rocking and in you know this case of fu manchu they might be more rocking but less heavy or spacey than nebula so so bob real quick so you know I mentioned before I got I I got into them around Atomic Ritual, so their third album. Mm. Why why is this the album that you go to for them? Is you this know, is this their pivotal record or is this just your favorite record? I think this is their the way I would put it is this is their first full length. They had an EP that came out before this called Sun Creature that was on the the notable for this genre, Man's Ruin Records. Um, and they were hot. And this comes out on Sub Pop. So it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think largely this and the following record, Charged, really put them on the map. So they were... So is this a pivotal record? I, I say this, this is the pivotal record because it's them establishing their identity as a as a band apart from being like, Oh, these are the guys who were in Fu Manchu. Uh, and so I think it was a big deal. I think it, again, being on sub pop was a big deal. Um, yeah. You know, I think everybody knows that. And they were sort of the, uh, they were the first ones to do it. And there was such a huge energy around it that, that they, um, 
they got that chance. So I think this is the record. Atomic Ritual is a very good record as well. It's kind of the, when I think about it, it's the last of the three that feature the original lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and you lose, uh, what's this? You lose um, Mark Abshire um, by this point. Uh, but but this is the last of this kind of three record span that I, I think is the key phase of the, re- the band. And they, they continue on. And like I think some of their later records have some prominence. I like the record Heavy Psych that comes out in 2009. But the EPs that come out before To the Center are awesome. Um, and then this LP is great. And I, I think the follow-up charge is very good as well. But it develops. I think this is the place I would say is not just their pivotal record. I think it's probably the best entry point as well. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I again, I've, I'm revisiting this after a while, but uh, reading about it just for this episode, it does seem like it seems like a lot of people kind of consider this to be more or less a classic in the genre at this point. So that, that was interesting to me just to see how things change over time, you know? Yeah, this is this is one of the, the records. Um, and we'll get to it later, but this is one of the records that I think defines this time period and this scene. Um, I think there's a few others. Uh, the Fu Manchu Godzilla Eaten Dust record, a um, couple of the Caius LPs. This record is right there with those um, that define this like late 90s, early aughts, 70s heavy rock revival, for lack of a better phrasing, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think this is one of the best of the genre, too. So, um, with that said, any initial thoughts kind of overall going into the record? Because on this listen, I had some thoughts as well. So please, I'll ask you the question and then give my own answer. So initial thoughts. I mean, again, this was a record that I really liked Atomic Ritual. Uh, I never really, for some reason, charged. I, I, I owned it. I listened to it a bunch of times. It never, nothing about it really ever grabbed me. Um, this record, at the time that I was listening to it, I, f- I feel like I would always get about five tracks in and then kind of turn it off. Like it wasn't a full album listen mm. for me most of the time. Um, I really, really liked Let It Burn. And I really, really liked uh, Sun Creature. The early EPs kind of were my favorites. They're so good. They're they, really they... good. Um, so I don't know. I was just interested to see for myself, like, do I still feel the same way about it? Um, do I like it more? Do I like it less? Do I hear different, you know, are there are there musical influences happening here that I wasn't, you know, even privy to at the time that I got into it? Um, so that's kind of how I went in. And I actually... Um, I ended up listening to it a few times and then I actually went back to all of that other Nebula stuff and gave that another listen, which I think I felt differently about everything now compared to how I felt about it at the time. So, so yeah, it was, it was, this was a fun exercise for me. You know what I want to tell you? I largely agree. Um, actually I really like charged, but to the center is the one that always has drawn me back in. Um, and I like Atomic Ritual as well, but those records maybe lack some of the personality yeah. um, that To the Center has. And, and there might be some reasons for that. And I also felt on this listen that I was like, oh, you know what? <clears throat> it it drags. Uh, drags maybe is not the right word. There's a quality difference between the open of this record and the later half. And, uh, and I think it was more, I felt it more profoundly here. Um, and I really enjoyed the record and really enjoyed kind of the overall energy of it. But on this listen, there was things that pulled me in and things that pushed me away. And, uh, I kind of, I'm excited to kind of go through those with you and see where we fall on both sides of that. You know, what might be the best way to do this? What's that? Why don't we go track by track? Let's go track by track. That's a great idea. It's for the first time. Um, It's an easy place to start, but the first song, To the Center.
through the center is uh i mean i think it's one of the strongest tracks on the album it kicks it off so well um it's uh you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's like I feel like what a perfect opening track does is kind of give you a taste of like all of the elements that are to come over the course of the record. Yep. Um, and this this does that perfectly. I think it's a great song. So, yes, I, I think it's a great song. It's maybe not my first. It's not my favorite song in the record, but it's captures the ens- essence of the whole record. Yeah. Now, here's the note that we're going to have to play a little bit with this record, but less than I thought. This song is the long, is the second longest song on the record. And you can feel the length of the song. But in the context of this record, in this genre, I think it really works. Length on these records is sort of intentional. Now, that doesn't mean that we're here for it, because we'll talk about that. But... <laughs> But I think it works and it really does set the tone. I think it's a perfect opening track for this kind of record. And I feel like for this band, it was about setting the tone, not just for this album, but for who they were as a band. This is their debut on Sub Pop. This is their record that beyond the EPs that preceded this record, this is the record everybody's hearing and this is their introduction to the band. So um, I think you hear it. I think it really pulls in the influence set, which... um, you know, when you think of these bands, there should be one band that stands above all as a primary influence, which is Black Sabbath. That said, I think they get name-checked a little too often, and there's a lot of other 70s rock bands here. I want to note the Stooges, who, hey, there's a cover on this record, but I think of a couple of the song, the Stooges songs on, on their you know self-titled record that are just gritty and had such a bigger impact on heavy music than really they get, they get note for, you know what I mean? They don't get the praise they deserve for that. They get this whole like rock proto punk thing, but they really don't get noted for how gritty and heavy they were and how they influenced heavy music as a whole. Yeah. Like hundred percent. That's so sorry. One of the things that I actually noticed on this, you know, this newer listen, having not listened to it in a while, like, dude, the Detroit rock influence on this album is like so strong. And I just, I just did not catch that when I was listening to it back then, probably because I wasn't as familiar with the Stooges or MC5 or any of that stuff, you know? So, but yeah, Yeah. it's it's total, like just Detroit rock worship, you know, combined Mm -hmm. with Sabbath. Yes. And, and I think it's kind of, uh, it reminds me, we uh, we talked about the band Monster Magnet eons ago. Perhaps we'll replay some of those old episodes on the new podcast at some point. Yeah. But, but this is the West Coast version. Um, it's got a little bit more up-tempo parts to it, but it's still really pulling from this well and grounded in this gritty heavy 70s rock thing that uh that you know i think fits well for this so um that's a keeper track for sure and i think we both would say that that might be one of the unanimous ones from uh from this list keeper but but you said so this song feels long to you no it is long because it's six and a half minutes long but but, (laughs) But it doesn't doesn't feel long no it moves and and like there's several parts of this song that get stuck in my head, both instrumentation and then, you know, uh, vocal track parts that are just, they're just catchy. Yeah. You know? Um, and it doesn't, so you can have a long song and not drag. You can have a short song that drags. Yeah. This is a long song that does not drag. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I didn't even look at the, uh, the, the song lengths until now, but, I'm surprised that this is this song is as long as it is because it never felt that way to me. No, and and to be very frank, there's songs that are shorter than this that drag that are half the length of this song. So yep. you know that's just what it is. Um, moving along to the second track, the song "Come Down." Yep. So this is really for me where I started to realize, like, oh, the Stooges. You know, yes. um, yes. <laughs> just 100% Stooges worship. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's faster. It's not as, you know, like 
stereotypical stoner Rocky. Mm-hmm. I, at least I think of, you know, like heavier, slower. Well, um, it, loses, it doesn't have the drone that yeah. a lot of that stuff gets associated with. Right. Exactly. So this is the this is more of the rock and roll um, influenced kind of stoner rock here on Calm yeah. Down. And I think it's like um, you get these cascading guitars, and there's you know it's it's scaling here and there, and it's it's playful. The interplay between the 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 rhythm and guitar is big. Like it just kind of goes back and forth a bit. Um, I think it's a really strong song. It's not to the same level as to the center, um, but it's a good song. It's yeah. it's good and it doesn't lose me. And I I also think so. I hear Stooges worship. I also think you see that the age and date of this record, 1999, is indicative of something. This is a two-minute long song. This is played, this is not post-punk music, but this is music that was made after punk music. These are people who are very familiar with shorter songs, song structures, etc. And they are not nodding at it sonically, but they're nodding at it in kind of how briskly things move along. Um, and I think that's a really important part to note about this whole scene is that a lot of these players come from this underground punk rock world, but their heart lies in the <laughs> 70s rock, you know, whether they were, you know, I would say for the most part, these are, these are players who were not around by age or just by, by function at the time for a lot of that stuff. Yep. Yep. Cool. So keeping it, I'm keeping it. Keeping it. Keeping it. Wh- nice. What you're looking for? What you're looking for? Um, solid track. I really, really like uh, the cowbell and the shakers on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a sucker for like fun percussion elements. You know, huh, and, I wonder uh, why. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. But this is like, I mean, one of the things that Stoner Rock in general. I think is good for is just uh, like headphones listens because mm-hmm. there's, there's always, you know, all of these different instruments buried in the mix. Um, and so this is a fun song in that respect, but also just a great rock song. Yeah. I, I think, uh, let me co-sign you on the headphones. Listen, you know, last week we started the podcast off talking about stone roses and it being a record that I think oozes personality, but also you can chill to, um, this record and records of the genre are a little more driving than that, but this is to me the best possible spreadsheet background headphones. Listen, yeah, you're having to do tedious, redundant bullshit on your laptop while you work from <laughs> home or you're stuck in a cubicle somewhere. As long as boss isn't looking, you could play this and you know, it really goes through. I, I, I think it's also great manual labor music. I think it's uh, best done while screen printing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is uh, this. I know this is a big one for uh, construction sites. You know, th- these songs really go for that. I don't think what you're looking for is as strong as to the center. But it's catchier than come down and it really works. And I noted also that it adds in some of these different elements, you know, the cowbell, the, the different percussive stuff. And I, I, I'm a soccer for it too. I, I think it's a good song. It's a keeper for me. This, these first four songs to me are, that's the meat and potatoes of this record. It's fantastic. Um, anything else on what you're looking for? No, it's a strong song. I think the, the, see, we're going to, this is where we, I think, take different different turns but the first three songs i think are super strong i feel i have mixed feelings about clear light but all right well clear light is where i want to move into
my comment is best song on the record. Wow. Damn. It's at least to me the catchiest. It's just it's rocking. And this is where they start pulling in different rock elements. Uh, they're not this is not the heaviest track on the record or close. Yeah. This this is one of the more light tracks, and it sort of has this playful. We're not gonna say jangle because jangle's kind of got the sixties guitar, but it's it's uh it's doing something that makes me think of the Swedish rock band, the helicopters. Um, I, I made the same note. Okay. Because yeah. it's right there. Um yeah. and, and people who aren't familiar, the helicopter Let's do a helicopters record at some point. Oh, I'd love to do a helicopters record. I think it'd be record. great. Okay. Yeah. Um, I actually really like this record. I think it's so catchy. And of this world, there's one or two Fu Manchu songs that almost hit this, but this is the most accessible song on of anything in the you know stoner heavy rock world. Give me, give me your detractions. I'm not going to argue about the accessible part. I think this is like Nebula is like actually a perfect intro stoner rock band. I think for people, um, if you're unfamiliar with the stuff, but all right, here's my things with clear light. I love the heavy, like spacey breakdown at the end of this song. Yes. I think it's great. It's like one of the highlight moments of the record for me. Um, yeah, I, and, and the vocal over it is so good. It's Ugh. great. Um, I think the chorus is super catchy. I like it a lot. Um, I hate the fucking hand claps, dude. Oh, like they're way too high in the mix and they almost sound off time to me. And it just like, it totally fucks me up. I can't, I can't do it. It like ruins the song for me. (sighs) There's nothing I can argue because hand claps are. They're a divisive. They're a divisive tool in, yeah. in music. You know when, when you they see, land. Oof. Yeah. You know when you see a band live and the audience starts to clap, and one hundred percent of the time the audience just gets to this point where they're clapping completely off time. Yep. Oh, it's the worst. Like this just reminds me of that. Ugh. But I love the breakdown and I love the I chorus. So like, I don't know. I feel like it could have been my favorite track, but, but, uh, I, I can't do it. Yeah. But I'm not going to um, cut it. That being said. Okay. I'm okay. not going to cut it. I just, right. uh, it just, uh, it's, it it's loses. a keeper, it, but there's, there's a part, uh, yo, uh, you know, I feel it just that there's a little momentum for me here. Things can, can, yes. And so that is a good point for us to move forward to the song freedom. The longest song on the record, it's yeah. seven minutes and 14 seconds. My note was that it should be half the length. I appreciate the experimentation. It's not the most memorable song on the record. And this is where I'm starting to go, I might cut it. Interesting. I feel exactly the same way, but I'm not going to cut it. Um I, I I mean cut this song in half. Like that's that's the so so that's the thing. I don't have a hard cut on this, but I do think it needs to be cut in half. I mean I, I know exactly. elements, you know it's got a riff that's so memorable in this song, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, and like you can tell, you know, they put a lot of work into the percussion on it. Um it's 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 totally got that like Caius, you know, desert yes. stoner rock feel. Um but there's a point where, you know, there's a breakdown around the three minute mark, I think, which is awesome. And there's like, yes. you know, the sitar comes in and all that, yes. but then it dies down and then they come back in with the same drum intro that starts the song. Mm-hmm. You just don't do that. Just that's, that's the end of the song. <laughs> I think you're right. You nailed you know? it. Yeah, that's it. So, so we're tentatively leaving it, but we're saying this, we're, we're sending it back and saying, Hey, uh, we need a rewrite. Yeah. Maybe live. You do the long version, you know, live jam out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, um, how about the next song, which, uh, is Antigone as though, who knows, maybe they go Antigon, but, uh, Antigone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so this, this, uh, I have, Really good riff, really good riff. Like 
this is a record that if you were trying to start a rock band or or do something, you could steal riffs from this and nobody would know it's missing because it feels like you're the Scrooge McDuck of riffs on this record. <laughs> They're just swimming in them. This is yeah. like a good riff. It's not quite as memorable as others. I'm not cutting this song, but it's just, it's a step down. And and, and it's at this point in the record where I feel like, okay, we lost a little bit of the steam off of, for me, the first four tracks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is where it starts to feel a little bit samey for for me and where I was reminded of like, you know, why I I guess I turned the record off back in the day. You know, I'd only make it four or five tracks in. Um, There's a lot more grunge influence on this song, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel like, I mean, one of the things for me too is just Eddie Glass's voice just there's no range, um, which is, which is fine. And it, and <laughs> it works. Well, we start to feel it right about here. Yeah. And it's just, but it's one of those things where for me, like, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I guess it, I guess it does have an effect on me because after a while, I feel like I'm just listening to the same song. And like, not only, not only does this feel like, you know, more grungy and feel like a mud honey song, it actually made yes. me realize that his voice kind of sounds like Mark arm. So, well, and we get to that on the yeah, next song. Exactly. Um, yeah, here is the start of, <clears throat> and like I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit of an Eddie Glass super fan, uh, as noting that I'm like, oh, here, check out this Olive Lawn song. It's great. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, but the, the flaw here is, as a vocalist, he's got, he's got a certain charm to his voice, and I actually appreciate how far he goes to try for things. Yeah. But sometimes they just miss. Yeah. And he can't get there. Um, and this is one of those moments. Uh, it's, it's just not as good. Um, so <clears throat> I think I might cut Antigone. Yeah. Antigone is one of the cuts for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I need somebody, a Stooges cover, which is sung by Mark arm, the singer of mud honey. Yeah. Can you tell uh, the difference? A little bit, but not much. Yeah. You, can see, you can feel it in the flow. I want to say, I believe there's a thought here. Structurally, we're writing this kind of record, and I think they know the deal. These, When you listen to these albums, you listen to them front to back. It's a long listen. You enjoy it, but you can also drift. Yeah. 47 minutes on a record is not short, and that's how long this record is, 47.51. They wanted to change it up a little bit. And you can feel that change up. I think this is actually like a great, faithful, and like well-done cover. I'm going to keep it. But it's not making or breaking the record for me. It's not like... there's. I had a conversation... <laughs> I had a conversation about the Blondie record, Parallel Lines, and how it opens with a cover. And, uh, and how that's kind of like was seen as a weird move that it's like, Oh, you know, like that's not something that many bands would do. But I was like, Oh, you know, like pop music covers are just like covers. Like who cares? So like in 1978, like Blondie's trying to make it big in the pop world. Yeah. The song's good. The song's good. It's good track. It's track. Hang on the telephone. It's a track. Uh, who cares? This is not that like, it's not necessary to the record. I'm not cutting it, but you know, it's it's just in the middle of the pack. Yeah. So I, I guess I like it a little bit more than that. Um, yeah. I uh, So with the last iteration of, of this podcast that came from New Jersey, we talked about the Lifetime record, Hello Bastards. Um, and, you know, buried right in the middle of that record is a Husker Du cover um, of It's Not Funny anymore. Um, and we kind of talked about how it was like the perfect way to cover a song. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it sounds Damn it, like Pete, are you pulling me in on this? You are, Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I really, I was thinking about that conversation in regards to lifetime because I feel like they did that here where it's like, they took, they took the band that they're essentially just like copying, you know, like, like they're taking a band who's certainly an influence on Nebula. And I mean, I mean, I would even, I would say more than, you know, it's yeah, like, you're right, they're like, you're right, they're like right. Xeroxing the Stooges and make, <laughs> making it a little heavier, but like, that's right. But, that's but, true. They, but they do the song like in their own distinct style in this way that like it fits right into the record. 
Like if you're if you're really paying attention, you're like, yeah, this sounds a little different. Like, what is this? But yeah, it, I think it works really, really well, actually. All right, you sucked me in. You you used my own theory too because I had that same thing. It's so well weaved in it. It's faithful, but it is still uniquely their own. Yeah. God. All right. Yes. Good job. <laughs> you're right. You are right. All right. I need somebody's got to be a keeper. Okay. Yeah, keeper. Okay. All right. Um, solo. Doesn't pull me in at all. This yeah, is, this is actually this is a, the, the other yeah. cut for me. Yeah, this this song I caught. Uh, I I I have uh, on on re-list, and I was like, oh, okay. This this couple parts, but nothing that made me feel it was uh, is, was valuable to the overall flow of the record either. You know, sometimes we talk about these songs when we do this track by track and go, well, this is change of pace. Is this this feels kind of when we're starting to get into the repetition or sameness, it's not bringing something new to the table to me and it's not bringing anything that uh, excels either. So I cut it. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's, they get a little bluesier on this than they do on the rest of the record. Which, Um, which I think is distinctly missing in a lot of elements, especially when we talk about like the Detroit rock sound. Yeah. That, That might be the color flourish that doesn't make it through on a lot of the copies and that isn't just to nebula. I think they actually pull it out a little more than some of their peers. Right. Um, but when you look at this era of heavy rock, only a handful really do the bluesy thing in the way that it's done. There's, there's some chord progression and, and blues riffing, but it's, they try to tune it down way low. So it has that heavy, uh, low end kind of thing. Um, they, they actually try it here and, it, you know, largely didn't do it for me. Yeah, agreed. Synthetic Dream. Um, I really like kind of the juxtaposition in this song of uh, the cleaner tones and then the heavier tones. Yes. Um, I think there's like there's some dynamic in this song that doesn't exist throughout a lot of the record. Yep. Um. I don't know. It, it, at the let same time, let me put it in here. You yeah. remember how you said that the hand claps took you out on Clearlight? Yeah. Eddie Glass's vocals here are trying very hard for something, and they just don't hit it. Sure, he's stretching to the limits, and it just isn't there. I actually think by Charged and Atomic Ritual, his voice kind of develops a bit, and he might have been able to pull it off better. Um, it takes me out of the song, despite the fact that I love some of exactly what you said, that instrumentation, the interplay. I think it's awesome. This is on the border for me to cut. I'm not going to because I love the instrumentation so much, but this I could see as being something where if this was playing, somebody would be like, yo, what are we listening to? Can this dude sing? What's going on? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's on the border for me too. I'm not, I'm going to keep it. Um, But even like I said, I like the juxtaposition at the same time. I feel like it's it's not as fluid as it could be. Um, sometimes when it jumps into the heavier part, it, it feels a little disjointed or like yep. forced. Yep. Um, I feel like they they certainly got better at kind of playing with this dynamic shift in oh, la- yeah. in, in later records. Um, yeah. But it's cool. It's a cool song. I mean, it's interesting. It's just yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Fields of psilocybin. Uh, good name for a song. I like this song. I mean, it's just, it's like a mellow stoner jam. Um, it just kind of breaks things up a bit. I feel like kind of weirdly minimalist feel on this record. Yeah. Uh, I really, it works really well. Uh, it is the 
kind of change of pace song that I wish Solo was. So uh, it's cool that they find it on Fields of Psilocybin. Yeah. Um, I feel like records like this where where you have like a very kind of there's I don't want to say one note. It's not one. note, But like there's a there's a consistent sound for like more or less the entire album. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's important to have like a bridge song like this that kind of gives you a breath, you know. Absolutely. Um, between time. Um, good song. I don't know. It kind of washes over me. I like. I yeah, like. I the, can hear it in your voice. This I is. Like, I like the, the lead, starting to wash. Yeah, it just it's this is where it gets like a little long for me. I I really like the guitar lead in it. Um, yes. the chorus is catchy. Uh, the song itself is a little long for me. Yeah, I, I enjoy this. I actually of this last group of songs, it's my favorite of them. Um, I'm keeping it memorable parts, but but by this point in these records, especially, I guess I should quantify this. Right, we should we should give some context. If you're really into this genre, your your ears are trained to this kind of, yeah. right? And I think both of us could say like it's been a long time since we sat with this as a primary like, hey, we listen to a lot of this kind of rock, you know. You can feel yourself drift away from it if you aren't in tune with this. Uh, but but their songs, Fields of Psilocybin, Into Between Time, pulled me back in a little bit when I had started to drift off. Yeah. Um, now that that said, I'm going to keep that one. But you mean nothing. The last song on the record, it's jammy. It gives it a little bit more of an interesting feel to me. I actually like that it closes it with that. It gives it a little more playful energy, but it still meanders a bit and kind of yeah. doesn't get to where it needs. I count this as not necessary, and I'd probably cut it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even write cut, but it's just. Honestly, like I listen to this album a few times and usually I can play the song in my head while we're talking about it. This one, I don't even remember it at this point. It's so I don't know. The, the end of this record like really trails off for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it really trails off. So it's one of those um, day night records, we'll call it, where I think the first group of songs really shines and then it really it gets dark as you go towards the end. That's not to say there isn't anything redeeming. I, I, I think this is a, a cool record for sure. And of the genre, pretty pretty good. Yeah. Now, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this, because I was like, sitting with this in the way we sit with records I haven't done. And I like it. But this is also the kind of thing where, yo, there's records you like, but you're like track five into the record. And you're like, oh, I want to listen to something else. Skip over to something else. And yeah. that that kind of listening which i you know it's typical means you you can say to yourself oh i really like this to the center record but then it's like i really like the first half of it um and then veer off with almost unconsciously yeah so before we get into um anything else i want to pick a couple songs on here to throw on to our unanimous tracks playlist so I think to the center is a unanimous track. Unanimous track, definitely. All right. And we've established that Clear Light is not a unanimous track. Uh, you don't like those claps. What do you I think? Uh, here's the thing. I think there's, like I said, there's so many cool elements of that song. Yep. And I it's just super don't like catchy. the hand claps. It is okay. super catchy. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we Do we do what you're looking for? I think it comes down to... Come down, what you're looking for, or clear light. Um, I guess I would consider I need somebody. Hmm, no, I, th- I, th- I think I think we do to the center and clear light. To the center okay. is like unquestionably my favorite song on the record. Yeah, and I think clear. You said clear light is your favorite song, so let's. Yep. And let's, I think let's it's the catchiest and easiest entry point. I think that it gets two songs off this record, and that's them. Cool. So uh, please go check out the unanimous tracks playlist on our Spotify and hopefully we've got it set up on Apple music. Um, now here's my question for you and I have my answers as well. Okay. Is this record relevant? I think it is. I mean, it seems like it seems to me that there's stoner rock seems to be alive and well. Um, there's a lot of heavy bands that are most certainly pulling from, if not this record stuff from this era. Um, it still feels it's, it sounds great. Um, 
it doesn't sound dated to me in any way. Yeah. Um, I think it's relevant. Yeah. I think it's relevant, but has an asterisk. <clears throat> I think there's a pretty specific audience for this and that Nebula and even Fu Manchu are a solid step below uh, some of their heavier contemporaries, that being Caius or Sleep, for example. Sure. Because I think the the Stoner Ruck stuff started to lean more into the heavy, heavy side of things or the heavy kind of dirging uh, stuff like that Caius does as opposed to the more up-tempo pieces that's the bands like Fu Manchu and Nebula were going into. Yeah. So um, I think it is still relevant, but it's more niche. Um, I don't know if anybody under the age of 30 is really diving in and trying to find this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point, but I mean, I think that relevance when it comes to niche music is an interesting conversation anyway. Right. Because like, like, like death metal, there's always going to be a huge audience for death metal bands that are willing to go super deep into old bands, new bands, you know, whatever it is. Um, but that audience is not, you know, it's never going to be a mainstream audience. I feel like stoner rock, you know, the audience has remained more or less consistent over time. Um, and they're older bands. They're still newer bands. Um, but it's never been like a really, you know, mainstream thing in any way aside from like, you know, monster magnet, maybe, um, if you want to get the closest, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, like, was it ever a relevant genre? Not really. Um, but I feel like there's still probably just as much of an audience for it now as there ever was. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think you're wrong. I think that's right. Um, did it have an impact? Yeah, I think it did. Um, yeah, it seems like it did to me. How has this record aged and how do you think it will age from here? So, I mean, again, I, I, I think it sounds really good. Um, just, just sonically. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The production's great. Yeah. Um, Jack and Dino produced it, I believe who, uh, produced Nirvana's bleach and then, you know, was really active in the Seattle scene. Yeah. Just a couple um, records. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a couple, just a couple of records. Um, I think he did a sound garden record. He did a lot of stuff, but, um, it sounds really good. I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't, this is, this is where I just show my age. Like, I don't know if you're getting into stoner rock right now, how long does it take you to find Nebula? I have a feeling you're not going to find it immediately if ever. Um, Mm. but I don't know, you know? Yeah, no, I think Um, they're probably, they're not on at the surface level. They're probably a level down. You have to dig in a little bit, you know, I think at the surface level you hit the, uh, monster magnet Caius of the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, I also think it's regional. Like when I was living in San Francisco, um, I know a lot of West Bay kids who fucking love Fu Manchu in this way that nobody I've ever met loves Fu Manchu. You know what I mean? And uh, and, yeah, they, and, and in my time in Southern California, I knew uh, quite a few people who this was, they loved it. Yeah. You know? And these kids, like to this day, they ride for Fu Manchu. You know where, I like I know Fu Manchu put out a record like a year or two ago. I don't know a single human that bought it, but like every West Bay friend I have was like on it the day it came out. You know, so I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm I'm detached a little bit because we're on the East Coast and it's a different thing over here. It can be, and you know we're speaking broadly, so everybody knows. No, that of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that said, um, yeah, I think that that's pretty fair. Um, I think we're going to get into the rating section here. And as laid out, uh, because I selected this record, I get to ask you some quick hit questions cool. um, to factor into to, to mind as we give our star rating. Length, is this record too long or does it feel like it drags at all? Too long. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, does it drag... When you say things tail off, when you say, I can't totally remember this song, it yeah. drags. It yeah, drags. It drags. Um, 
I think that Stoner Rock Records typically, I you know, I give them, I give them room for that because that's kind of like what they do. You yeah, know, it's their gimmick. It's like, yeah. like you know, Sonic the Hedgehog's like blue and really fast. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's his thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, but even with that, like even giving it the benefit of the doubt like that, uh, they're just, they're, they're, it drags. You could cut this. I feel like you could cut this to 30 minutes. It would be, it would be awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a world where this is a fantastic 26 to 30 minute, 12 inch. And it's just awesome. Yeah. Really good. You know, yep. um, album flow. Does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? No, I mean, I, I, I do feel like it flows really well. It's just that it, uh, a lot of it is just kind of samey and some of the songs go on for a little too long. But in terms of actual album flow, I feel like it flows really well. Yeah, I think it, it moves into each other really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Quality of the songs and lyrics. Are there memorable songs and, you know, compare them to their peers, but also at large? So... For a for the genre, I think they write you know great songs. When they when they hit, they really really hit. Um, you know, I think they again they suffer from the same thing that I feel like a lot of bands of the genre suffer from, where which is just like efficient songwriting. I feel like some things mm-hmm. like sometimes you don't have to just drag the song out just because that's what stoner rock bands do. You know. Um, <laughs> yep. But uh, the lyrics, I mean, you know, stoner rock bands in general, I like the lyrics can be kind of corny or, you know, just not really speak to me all that much. Um, yep. And Nebula's it's the same kind of thing where, you know, we're talking about going off into space or, you know, being on a mushroom trip or whatever it is like <laughs> I, I i like i like the energy of it i'm yes. i'm there i'm there for it but like you know it's not it's not speaking to my heart yeah I, I, the songs are memorable there's lots of memorable parts lyrics are hit or miss there are some really memorable lines uh to yeah. the center for sure has some what you're looking for like the choruses are pretty memorable they don't say much yeah um and they're not supposed to, you know, essentially they're, they're designed to be a little catchy, but the focus here is on the riffs, man, you know, that's, yeah. that's what they're going for. So yes, yes, the quality of songs, lyrics in relativity, they are just fine, perhaps better than many of their peers. Yeah. I don't, I don't get a sense of who Eddie Glass is as a person <laughs> after reading the lyrics of this record. Yeah. I think that's uh, precisely his intent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now this is an interesting one timelessness does this record strictly exist in a time and place or do you think it spreads uh much further than that um again i i get the feeling just based on what i'm what i'm reading and i guess what i've seen you know from bands that came after nebula it does seem like it had this record had an effect and this band had an effect um you know and an influence on on other bands within the genre specifically within the genre not so much outside of the genre yep um it's timeless. Lo- i think you can yeah, I, I, I don't mean, i think it is i think there's a timelessness to the production and some of the sonic qualities but it is very much time and place to me yeah i mean the longevity like is this gonna you know we talked about the stone roses last week you know like i don't see people rediscovering this in 20 years and you know having it be this really influential like lost gem really yeah and, and you it's know a solid record you know sometimes there's things that come in waves you know um i don't want to compare this to anything specific but there's records i can think of that that i think are very good records um that don't that don't hit uh my idea of like oh this will come back and then sure enough there's a resurgence and out of nowhere everyone's like, whoa, have you heard this? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, wait, everyone's talking about this record now? Weird, you know? So um, never say never, but this is certainly a time and place. Now, um, final question before we get into the ratings. Uh, Presentation. The artwork, layout, all that kind of stuff. Does the art fit the music? Does it, is it something you can think of immediately when you think of the name? Do you see the cover? Um, what, What do you think of it? Um. 
this is, I mean, this is another question where I feel like they, you know, if there's a stoner rock box, they fit right into it. Um, and I don't mean that as a diss, but it's just like, you know, the bubbly seventies font and the, you know, the, the, the aesthetics, the colors, um, and the fact that you just have, you know, the, uh, the Ludwig Vista light kit, um, and the Marshall stacks in the desert. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's, I, I actually like love the nose. It's totally on the nose. I actually, but saying that I actually love the cover of this album. I think it, it looks great just aesthetically. I think it's a cool shot. Um, but yeah, it's on the nose, you know I mean? It, it, they're, they, they are exactly what they, you know, put themselves out there to be. Yeah. I, I really like the art. Um, I can think of it instantly. I think it's one of the defining record covers of, of this, this world that said, um, it's very on the nose and that's okay. Sometimes like it's, it's, does it add to it? Kind of because it, it, again, it's one of the iconic pieces of this little world of, uh, desert rock, stoner rock spaciness of the time. So, uh, so shout out to the center. Yeah. That said, let's rate. Um, why don't you, let's see, do you want to rate first? Do you want me to rate first? You tell me. You go first. Okay, man. So last week I said, can we do half stars? Mm Mm-hmm. Can we do like quarter stars? What, what what's my you, limitation? You do I, you, I, man. I, I no limitations. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is getting a two point seven five for me. Wow. I really like it. No, that's not fair. I'll give it a full three. Let me give it a full three because All the right. song to the center is awesome. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Uh but but a lot of it, as discussed in the timelessness, some of this hasn't aged as well as I would like it to. And yeah. some of that might be on me and my ears evolving, but, uh, but we can only live in the moment. So I'm going to give it a solid three. Um, but there's elements of this that fall off a little bit and, uh, I enjoyed listening to it, but I think I'm going to continue having this be a record. I listened to the first five or so songs, um, a few times a year and, uh, and that'll be it. Yeah. All right, that's lower than I thought you were going to give it. Honestly, I'm proven to be the tougher teacher here. You know, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you want to get a good grade, take take Professor Pete's class. <laughs> what are you giving it? I'm going to give it. Do I feel generous or not? Um, I'm going to give it a two point five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I almost wanted to give it a two, but I feel like I like it more than that. Um, but the reality here is that I'm you know, I'm coming away with maybe two or three songs that I like might go back to, you know? Right. right. And I think that's an important thing. And that's kind of, it's why I didn't, uh, lead with a stone cold classic for myself. Yeah. Because I wanted to do this exercise much like we're going to do some, sometimes when we do this exercise, we're going to do records we're completely unfamiliar with too. So, yeah. um, we're going to rate this. This is kind of adding into the hall. So far, it's ranking below Stone Rose's record pretty solidly for both of us. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see what comes from here. So, Bob, are you adding this to your personal collection? I am. I am. I actually did not have an original copy of this. And uh, I would like to own it. it. It was a record I, I like now. I liked more when I was younger. And... Uh, certainly holds a place to me. I, I did own an original copy of the Sun Creature 10 inch, but I think I purged it when I got rid of all my 10 inches. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Are I, you going to be adding it to your personal collection? You know, I had this record back in the day and I purged it during one of my many record purges. And, uh, I don't think I'm going to be adding it back in. Say la vie. Yeah. It happens all right, everybody. Sometimes. Thank um, you for joining us real quick. Yes. So next next week's homework, I I picked my record. Oh, let's hear it. Um, we are going to go with the Killing Joke album, um, the self titled album, not the classic self titled album, but the two thousand three self titled album. Wow. Yeah. 
So the Killing Joke self-titled album from 2003. Get on it. We'll talk about it next week. Mark out the points. Build the pyre. Assemble different drummers. Light up the fire. Put on your masks and animal skins. Illumination. Illumination. Listen to the drums. (laughs) 